look at uh, our vision statement or just the synopsis of what God has done and how He's clarified it in, in my mind and my heart and what I'm going to call you to as well. Uh, ultimately, uh, it's, only, it's only my vision if, if I'm doing it by myself. But I believe that this is a God-given vision. I think it's something that He's worked in me and that's why I stand here and ask you to join me in it. And ultimately, why I'm asking you then to turn and ask others to join you in it. And so, that's what we're going to work through tonight. We won't get all the way through it. Next week, we'll really break out the last part of it, and we'll finish this up. But to begin, I want you to think about, or ask you, if you remember the movie Field of Dreams. What was the catchphrase from that? Do you remember? Build it and they will come. And actually, I found out this week, because I've always said, build it and they will come. That's not actually right. It's build it and he will come. The story is about a man named Ray Kinsetta, I believe his name is. And, and ultimately, Ray was out in his cornfield one day, and he hears this mysterious voice from out of, seemingly out of nowhere whisper, build it and he will come. And he hears that a few times. And, and ultimately, through a series of events, he interprets that this means he's to cut down his corn, his family's livelihood, and what's paying for them to live in this farm, he's to cut down his corn and build a baseball field. How he gets to that point, I don't really remember. You can go watch the movie if you want to. But ultimately, that's what he does. Through a series of events and then family problems and, and uh, personal issues, he puts it all on the line. He cuts down his corn and builds a baseball field. And the end of the movie comes to this point where you see these dead baseball players playing baseball in this field and line, a line of cars off into the distance, you can't see the end of it, um, coming in to watch these dead baseball players play baseball, I guess. Now, as I thought about this week and I, I thought about what, this was, what, what we were doing, I don't want to give you the impression that we're following some mysterious voice from seemingly out of nowhere. That's, that's not what I'm calling you to. Uh, not what I'm asking you to walk with me in, but ultimately I see a lot of parallels in this story, this movie, as I think about what God's called us to. Ultimately, we know that the Creator God, the God of the universe, He's the God that calls us and, 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 and builds us, shapes us, and, and, and moves us. He's the God who, who, who is the calling God. And, and ultimately, it's His voice that I hope that, uh, that I'm asking you to walk with me as I follow to live obediently to Him. But as I think about what Ray had to do, he had to put it all on the line. He had to believe that his vision was more than just, his, his idea was more than just some wacky idea. He had to put himself and his family at some level of risk. As I thought about what we were doing here and what I've asked you to come along with me in, it's really a crazy venture. I mean, think about it. We live in Springfield, Missouri. Who needs another church? Why in the world plant a church in the middle of a, a, a market that seemingly must be saturated. You know, as, I, as I've had opportunities to preach in different churches and, and, and had opportunity to be involved in different ministries, 
boy, it seems like at least from, from, a, from a business standpoint or from a standpoint of, of what a person might deem successful, it seems like so many of these ministries and these churches are struggling. Why build another one? Why try to do something else? Why not join with someone else and, and ask them to follow this vision? Why not be involved in another ministry? And you know, for me, it really came down to, and, and what I think ultimately, as you guys have stuck in this for a year and a half now and uh, have been a part of this, I think ultimately it's going to be the true for you as well. What I finally realized was that I, like Ray Kinsetta, had come to realize that this wasn't just some crazy idea, something that, something that, was was from out of left field. But for me, it had come to be about being obedient. You see, as I, as I sought to follow God's call in my life, and I, I shared with you my story last week of, of at least how He brought me to a point of, of coming to ministry, but, but as I began to look at that and try to figure out how it was going to take shape, you know, there were things happening long before I was even speaking to people about it. As I began to read the Word and as I was studying and, and, and reading even just for my own life, I was seeing Scripture and, and He was transforming my whole view of what church was to be about and what success in church is to be about. He, he was changing my, my ideas about what ministry really is. I had for so long looked at them in a, in a certain way because that's what I'd always known. But He was working and He was speaking and, 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 and as I... As I looked and I continued to seek it out, I, the voice didn't quit calling. And so it came to this place where it was no longer just this silly little dream. But I understood that to continue to live obediently, this is the way we had to go. Even as a church looked at us and was preparing to call me as their pastor, I knew we weren't to go into something established and try and change its direction. We'd been called to, to start something new and start, start something fresh with this vision that God was building inside of me. He was calling me to build that vision in someone else. Or at least be the tool that He used to build it in someone else. So I began to share with people. Pretty quickly, Amy, she... she uh, this was something I'd waited for for some time. Most of you, I think, have heard this. I'd been praying for a year that if this was what God wanted, that He would move her too. That, that as we jumped into this, you know, I had to know that she was with me. And that halfway or a year from the time we started when things were difficult and we were sacrificing like nobody's business and, and giving up our time together, and I, I had to know that she wasn't going to look at me and say, what would you get me into? I had to know that we were called together. And as, as God began to work in her and move her, she approached me one day and she said, I'm not ready to talk about this yet, but I think we're supposed to start something new. Well, you don't know how long I've been praying for this. I can't wait to talk about it. We need to deal with this now. This is an answer to my prayer. And, and uh, so in my impatience, we went ahead and began to talk about it. And we immediately called the church and said, you know, Sweet, loving, dear people. They, these were amazing people, but we called them and we've got to stop this process. 
God's calling us in a different direction. It seems crazy. So many successful churches already doing good things. But for us, it was a call to be obedient. And so as I, as I think about this, and as I, as I move forward, and, 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 and I begin to, 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 to see clarity being brought in all of this, I begin to speak to other people. And slowly but surely, people came along. It was interesting. As I, I just thought of this, and it's been a little bit since I thought of it. One day I was at work, and Ron was there. And he walks up to me and he says, Seth, I don't know what this means really, but I've been passing this little storefront on Glenstone every day. It's right between a tattoo parlor and, I don't know, something else. He says, I don't know why, but I just have really been thinking that that'd be a good place for you to plant a church. Like, Ron, have, have I talked to you about what's going on inside of me? No. Well, that's interesting because I really feel like God's leading us to plant a church. Well, hey, if you plant that church, let me know. I'd like to be a part. And I was sitting at AXP one night as it was a college slash young adult ministry that was part of it second. In fact, God used that time in my life to really help shape this and, and put, it, uh, put this picture in my mind. And I was sitting and I was talking with Billy and I said, you know, I don't know what this means. I don't know what, what tomorrow holds for you in this, but I, you've, got, you've got a lot of strengths and a lot of, a lot of, a, a lot of ability to see things in, in this vision. And, and I think it would be really neat if you would at least help us get it started. Well, I don't know how I got him suckered into it, but he's been here ever since. And, uh, and really we set one, I don't remember what, how long ago it was. It was at least in November of, of uh, two years ago. I think it was November of two years ago. And it, we sat with myself and Billy and, and Ron and Stephanie at our house for the very first time and just talked about it a little bit. And then we had a vision casting dinner, exactly like I'm asking you guys to be a part of on July 11th. And I invited basically everybody I knew or could think of knowing, and, and I don't know how many actually showed up, but I think right now the only person left in the room from that dinner is Aaron and Kathy. Is that right? And I shared what, what God was doing and what, what I felt like God was leading us to. And, and ultimately it was pretty vague at that point. There's a lot of, lot of things that I still didn't understand and I didn't know. And so I was asking people to jump on board with this grand experiment. And I don't know why they did it, but they did. And they've been here ever since. And then we decided we were going to start having meetings in Billy's house and Lewis and April came along and at some point mom came along and at some point Billy's mom came along and at some point here comes Jackson and, well, Jackson's going to bring his parents. You know, and so ultimately, as you guys have started to come into this and started to see what's going on, I don't know what tomorrow holds for you in it. I don't know, I, I, I don't know exactly how God might use you in this. But what I'm convinced of is that you're here tonight to hear what I've got to say for a reason. Some of it you may have heard before, but I think some of it has really been clarified over the last year and a half of meeting. I, I don't think that it's some accident that we're at this point 
I don't, I don't think that it's, it's something that God has just ignored us or overlooked us. I think that this has been a huge time of growing, not just for me, but for each of you. I think that if you've been involved in this in some way, it's probably challenged you to rethink church, challenged you to rethink what ministry is about. And as I talk tonight, I hope ultimately that the point of what the church is about will be challenged and that as you gain this vision, that you too will see that you're called to go along with this, not because we're here to build it so that they'll come, but we're here to build it so that God will be glorified, so that He'll be worshipped. And so as I, as I think about this vision, as I think about the things that God's been doing, you know, I, I shared with you last week the core values. I shared with you... Uh, those things that, as God worked in me, they became so, so central to my life. Some of them I wasn't even ready to put words to until six months ago, but they'd become so central to my life and my understanding of what the church was to be about and what she was to do, that, that, that they were the things that I began to live from. They were those things that motivated me to move, and not just motivated me to move, but they were those things that I was moving towards. The gospel moves me. It's the reason that I can stand here. It's the reason that I can even proclaim anything. And the same is true for each of you. The, 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 the truth that God has and has, has provided for us. <clears throat> Love, community, commitment, authenticity, being real with one another. Not coming and putting on some show and, and putting on your Sunday go to church faces. You know, those things, they began to work in me. And, and as those things began to move me and be that motivation and be those things that I was moving towards, God began to show me something very specific. And that's the vision that we're really going to focus on for the next two weeks. That vision would read like this. To worship and lead others to worship the one true God. To be a family that lives unified, authentic lives together for God's glory. To be a community that selflessly serves one another with our spiritual gifts and God-given abilities to be a church used by God to share His love and grow His kingdom. I'm going to summarize that for you because I want you to be able to remember it. Worshiping God. Unified, authentic family. I'm going to forget it. That's what happens when I'm on the spot. Serving community. Missional church. Tonight we start right where I think it should always start, and that's with worshiping God. This ultimately is the vision. This, this, that first phrase I shared with you, worshiping God and, and leading others to worship Him. That's the vision. That's the motivator. That's the thing that we need to be moving towards. That's the thing that, that we need to be doing, worshiping God and leading others to worship Him. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I think it's so important that we start with worship. Because... Really, that's where everything goes wrong. In, in our culture, we've got this idea of worship, of this time that we segregate to Sunday morning. We've got this idea of worship, and we measure it based on how we're moved emotionally, uh, 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 of how we feel in the midst of it. And the reality is this, is that the words that come from Scripture that we translate as worship have absolutely nothing to do with that. 
I don't want you to hear me saying that singing praise and honoring God with our, with, with our words and song and that moment that we feel this sense of awe and this, this, this emotional rush, I don't want you to hear me saying that that's not some part of it. But that's not what worship is shown to be by itself in Scripture. Worship is really, it, it, it refers to understanding and recognizing the worth of the object and then actively moving and honoring that object in your actions and in your life. You see, worship is what we were created to do. All things were created by Him and for Him. We were created to be worshipers. And that's why we will all worship something. Every one of us will worship something. But that's why it's so important that we understand this. That, that as we move towards worship and as we speak about worship, we must remember that worship is only as real and authentic and, and, and worthwhile as the object of that worship. And that's why it's so important that we maintain God as our object of worship. The Old Testament spoke to this in Exodus 20, 3 through 5, part of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Jesus reiterated this as He spoke in answer to the greatest commandment. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Every bit of our being, every bit of, every, every bit of our life is meant to, to give honor and devotion to God, to love Him the way He's loved us. In Luke, He says, and Jesus says in Luke 4.8, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Paul, continuing in this in, 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 in this thread, he says in Romans 12:1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, what we need to understand and what we always need to remember, and I'm going to say it several times tonight, is that we will all worship something but our call and the call of this church and the vision of this church is to come back from the programs, to come back from all of the, all of the things that so easily blind us, come back from all of the things that we might sell out to and worship our God. Because there's no other thing more important. This is what we were created to do, to worship. We're all going to worship something. But as believers, as ones who have come to know the truth, our call is not to worship the things of this world anymore, but to worship the one true God.
He is to receive all honor and devotion. Not only is He to receive all honor and devotion, but He's worthy to receive all honor and devotion. He is worthy of our worship. He is much more worthy of our worship than those things that, that take our attention, those, the, the power or the money or the material things or, or the people. He is so much more worthy. He's so much more honorable. But as I said, the reason that this has become so clear to me and, and I feel like the thing that we need to focus on the most is because it's at this point that so many things go wrong. In fact, it's at this point that everything goes wrong. Everything goes wrong. Paul, as he spoke in Romans chapter 1, began to, to open this letter to the Romans. He begins to speak to them about the history of mankind and, 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 and talk to them about what has happened in, in this history. And he comes to this place where he describes why God's wrath is being demonstrated against the world. But it also describes why the world is where it's at and why the things are happening. And ultimately it comes down to a problem with worship. In Romans 1, chapter 21, or I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, Paul wrote this. For although they know God, or knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. You see, they, they knew God. <laughs> in just a few verses earlier, it says that, they, that, that God in His eternal um, existence, he, he was plain. He'd been showing Himself forever. And these people that this is referring to, they knew God, but they neither glorified Him as God, they, they didn't recognize Him as God. They neither glorified Him nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. You see, they exchanged this, <clears throat> this eternal God, they, they, they exchanged the Creator of the world, they, they exchanged this God who had made Himself known, and His eternal power and presence, He'd made Himself known. And they exchanged it and they said, that's not the God we want. We'd rather serve and worship these things. And the result, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who was forever praised. Amen. And then, <laughs> it's really interesting. I wasn't going to share this, but, but I feel like I need to. The very next verse, the very next verse, Paul expounds on what he's just told us. And in verse 26 it says this. Now remember, he's just said they've exchanged the truth of the Creator for a lie. They've worshipped and served created things. And it says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. 
Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with men or with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, it keeps going. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, He gave them over to a depraved mind. And it goes on and on and on. And it lists sin after sin after sin after sin until it comes to the point that it even says that they created or made up more evil things to do. You see, all the sin that we look at and we can identify in this world all comes back to this one problem. We've traded the truth of God for a lie. It's not a sin problem per se, although it's a sin. But it's a worship problem. We're honoring and giving our lives to the wrong thing. And so as we come to build this church, I I think it's only natural as God's people, as His children, as His followers, as His servants, to step back and say, it's not about the flash. It's not about the programs and the methods. Although those things need to be there, they need to be used. We need them so that we can use them as tools to speak to a culture who is is just submerged in those things. But we need to call people beyond that. We need to call people to see that, that it's not these things that give you hope. It's not these things that are worthy. It's not these things that deserve honor. It's our God. The one true God. The one God who had the power to create with His Word. The one God who had the power and the love to come into a world who was lost and in darkness and save us. The one God who has the power to bring us out of it and bring us to be be with Him forever. That's the one God that deserves any of this. And that's the one thing that we need to focus on more than any other thing. Worshiping Him Worshiping this God. How do we do that? This is where it gets tough. Because we all worship something. The reality is is that every person in this room has idols. It's the truth. I was slapped in the face with mine, one of mine about a week and a half ago. I'm in a coaching relationship with another church planner. He's about two years ahead of us. And he's like, well, why aren't you getting this done? Why aren't you, what, what's taking you so long to do this? And first, in my, probably in my fear to admit that I'm, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing. You know, I'm just kind of stumbling along. In my fear to admit that out loud, it's easy to fall back and say, man, look at the time. Look at the time it takes to really do this. I've got a 40-hour-a-week job that that most most of the time takes many more hours than that. I'm already preparing sermons every week. I've got a family that I need to be a husband and a father to you. And he stopped me and he said, Seth, what have you been called to do? And I said, well, I've been called to follow Jesus. 
Now let's get more specific, Seth. What, what have you been called to do? I've been called to plant a church. Well, how long are you going to hang on to that job? Were you called to work on airplanes? Not anymore. When are you going to focus on moving from that, building support, looking at your budget, shedding debt, whatever it takes? Thankfully, we don't have a lot of debt. Thankfully, <clears throat> there, there, there's opportunities for us. Thankfully, we're, we're, we're meeting people who I think will, will eventually help support us. How long are you going to keep trusting that job to provide for you? He quickly said, you know, I'm not telling you to go in and turn in your two-week notice and quit your job. <laughs> but how long are you going to use that as an excuse not to do the thing that God's called you to do? I, I, I couldn't even see it. But I truly was trusting in that more than I was trusting in the call that Jesus had given me to plant this church. And that's helped me to realize that we need to get serious. Amy and I need to get serious and look at our budget and see if there's things that we need to change in our life. To cut down some corn, as it were. So that we can follow this call that doesn't come out of a cornfield, but that comes from the the Christ, the Messiah that saved us. See, the reality is, is that we will all worship something. But there's only one that's truly worthy. And so, the first thing I believe that we have to do is to begin to identify our idols. But the reality is this, and I think that's so important, for, for us to understand, the, the reality is this. More than likely, you're going to have to be like me and you're going to have to be smacked in the face because you can't see your own idols. Oh, maybe those, maybe those ones that are just right out there and obvious. But it's pretty easy to justify. It's pretty easy to, to, to make excuses. That's why we need one another. Speaking honestly talking to one another in love. That's why in, the, in, in next week's message, that's, that's, that's why it's so important that we build community and family so that we have a place where people will be honest with us. So that somebody will tell us the truth. Because I can tell you there's not many people out there that want to tell you the truth in love. They may tell you the truth, but they're not doing it to help you. But this, this is where it begins. And as we identify those idols and we look at, at, at what they are, we understand that they are no longer worthy to be worshipped. That only He, God, Jesus, is worthy of our worship. And as we identify those things, then it becomes very practical. It begins to be it becomes it becomes something that, that we can really begin to see happening in our life. 
It begins to be something that, that we can really put steps to. It's no, more long, no, no longer just an idea. It's no longer just some thought. I want to worship and honor the one true God. Identify your idols. And then come to Him in faith. You know, faith, it's such an essential part of what this is about. Faith, faith, faith is such a big part of this. Trusting God with this radical belief that it moves you to action is so important. Paul talked about this in Romans, in 14.23 of Romans. Paul says, But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating not from faith, or his eating is not from faith. But listen, because he's speaking about something more specific. He speaks very globally here in the last part of this passage. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. That's how important faith is. I don't think he's being I don't think he's using hyperbole. I don't think he's exaggerating in this in any sense. I think he's being very serious. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. You know why? You know why this would be true? Because if you're not living in faith, if you're not living radically sold out to what God is doing and following Him with desperation, trusting that He is the only way, then in some way you're trusting in yourself or the things of this world to bring you hope, provision, power, whatever it is. You must come to Him in faith Hebrews 11.1 or 11.6 as, as the writer of Hebrews starts to break out this hall of faith it's the heroes of my faith in a sense he says without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him when we come and we gather here and we sing our songs and, and we measure our worship by how emotionally charged we are, do you realize how far off base that is? You and I are not even the judge of acceptable worship. Do you realize that? It's not how good Jackson played and it's not whether or not they were our favorite songs. It's not whether or not we felt like we had this big, big fluffy feeling in our stomach. You see, as we come in faith and we offer this worship, He's the one that looks at us and says, that's acceptable. The judge of worship is not you and me. It's the God who we worship. Think about Cain and Abel. One comes and brings, <laughs> brings an offering and God sh shines His light on him, smiles on him, does, does, does that thing that God does says, I accept your offering. And the other comes and offers an offering. But in this very book, in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find that if you read it, it wasn't offered in faith. And God rejected it. We must come in faith. And so I ask each of you, let me look you all in the eye, whether you're a part of this church plant or whether you're just visiting, it doesn't really matter to me. Who are you trusting? Who do you believe in? What are you approaching in faith? 
That's the first thing. We approach Him in faith. Then, we come in repentance. Now the word translated here is really speaking about a change of mind. And what I think that, that we, we've, come to, we've come to use it today in, in a slightly different sense, but, but ultimately, if you step back just a little bit from the way we use it today, ultimately you can see that the change of mind is where the turning from sin begins. You see, we talk about repentance today as, as we recognize our sin and we turn from it, and we turn to God. But the change of mind is so real that we recognize that these idols, these sins, these, these, these things that have blinded us, these things that we've given our life to, can no longer be our God, can no longer be what rules us, can no longer be those things that we sell ourselves out to, and we repent and we turn back to the one true God. You see, we come in faith believing that He's the one true God, recognizing our idols, and we turn. We have a change of mind that moves us then to walk with Him that moves us to respond to Him in such a way that, that, that our life begins to reflect that change of mind. We recognize that getting drunk is a sin, and so we quit getting drunk. And We, we recognize that, that sleeping with people outside of marriage is a sin, and so we recognize that we want to honor God and that we want to live the way that would please Him, and so we turn from that and we, we turn to the one true God. We recognize that putting our hope and faith in a job that's here today and gone tomorrow is not what's going to provide for us in our future. And we turn from that idol and we turn to the one true God because our mind has been changed so fundamentally, so deeply that it makes an outward appearance. Not, not, not some intellectual assent, not some ability to just say, hey, I repented, I, I repented of my sin. And then you go out and you commit that sin. That's not Repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that you recognize it's a sin and it has become your God and that really it doesn't measure up. And you want to stand in His glory and, and be in His presence. And you want to walk with Him and you want to follow Him. And, and it begins to show. I'll never forget, as, as God began to work in me, and this was several years ago, 12 years ago, about, as God began to do this work in me, and began to shape me and form me. And, 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 and I had been a Christian and my growth had been sort of slow and, and I, I, my, my life began to fall apart and, and, and things seemed really bad and I got so angry and I was throwing my fists up at God and I was, I was cussing Him and I was telling Him to leave me alone and I don't want any more part of this. If this is what you're about, I don't want it. And He kept a lot of people in my way. And His Holy Spirit brought conviction on me every time it was quiet. And these people constantly encouraged me to read His Word. And His Holy Spirit brought conviction about how foolish I was being. And then something bad would happen and I'd realize, Oh God, I need Your help. <laughs> it's pretty silly. So inconsistent and such a flawed view. But I was being blinded again. And it's, it's pitiful, but it's true. But I began to read His Word, and as I read His Word, I realized those things are they're a waste. They're empty. They bring no hope. They bring death and destruction. And here's my God. 
And a change took place in me that was so radical that within just a couple of weeks, the people that I worked with and would party with and, and thought, man, we don't want to have a party without Seth because he's so fun. You know, I, really what it was was I was so stupid. And I was trying to drown out all of the conviction and, and convince people that I was something I wasn't. And so I would do the craziest of things and I would act as the biggest idiot at the party. And so people love that. But it was immediate. And even today, from time to time, I'll hear one or two guys say, man, I miss the Seth that I used to know. I miss that guy. Let me tell you something, I don't. I don't. And it's that change of mind that led me to that. Not a change of mind that I worked, not something that I figured out, but a change of mind that God worked in me through His power, through His Word. We must come in faith and repentance, and we must be willing to give. It's time to come to Him and be ready to let go but grab hold. Let go of everything this world has to offer and grab hold of Him and hang on so tight. Because he's the only thing worth holding on to. One of the verses that he spoke to me so loudly in as I began to form this and, and, and he began to build this vision within me was this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. Jesus is speaking about worry and he's speaking about really the idols of the world that, that give us security and make us feel like everything's going to be okay. He's speaking about clothing and money and he says, but seek first. Give up those things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first those things of God. All these other things will be added unto you. It doesn't mean you're going to get rich and it doesn't mean that you're going to not ever have problems with money or that, you're, that, that, that there won't be times where you wonder how He's going to provide, but it tells us this, that He will provide as you need it. But there's something so much more important than the things that this world has to offer. Seek First, His kingdom and His righteousness. You see, as we come to this, we've got to be willing to give. To give up all of those things that make us feel like we're in control, that make us feel like we have power, that make us feel like we, we, we have some say in things. We must let Him go. And we must grab hold of Him. <laughs> Thankfully, our grip, when it's not strong enough, you can know that He's holding on to you. You see, that's the amazing thing of it. But that means I've got to look at my life. And as Paul said in 12.1, in Romans 12.1, he said, to lay down your life as a living sacrifice. What are your hopes and dreams? What, what is it? You know, when I was growing up, I thought I was going to be an astronaut. Well, I backed off of that because I hate math, and, and they were, I was going to have to take all kind of math. And then I wanted to be an Air Force pilot and fly fighter jets, and, well, they still want you to know a lot of math, and I didn't want any part of that. And then I began to mess with helicopters and, and thought that one day I'd work my way to being a helicopter mechanic, and I got in, or I'm sorry, a helicopter pilot. I got in, and I realized how much I enjoyed just working on them, working with my hands and and even though it didn't make sense for a kid who grew up washing his hands every time he turned around, I was dirty all the time and it felt good. You know, I just felt fulfilled. And I got out of the army and I had this hope and dream that I'd one day run a small aviation repair company. 
And when I came out of the army and I joined, uh, I, I went to work for American Eagle Airlines. I thought, well, hey, this pays pretty good. There's there's security in it. Feels pretty good. Things weren't going the way I thought. In, in the rest of my life, working nights was difficult. And I came to this place where I was given the opportunity to work for a small aviation repair company. I started working there. They quickly liked me. And all of a sudden, in the back of my mind, this little dream to own and run my own aviation repair company began to take root again. It was about a year before this really became solid in my life and and God really began to, to speak so clearly to me that I knew what He was doing that my boss approached me and said, I'd like you to buy us out. Wow. It's coming true. My hopes and dreams. I'm going to have all I ever wanted. And then he called me so plainly. You're to start a church. But God, I got this hope and I got this dream. But you're the only one worthy to be worshipped. You see, I'm asking you not to walk out of your jobs, not not to not to 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 give that up because that's not everybody's call. You need to make a living. You need to provide for your family. You need to live in this world. But I'm going to ask you to give up your hopes and dreams in a sense that no longer do you work for your security. No longer do you work for for your retirement. No longer do you work so that you can feel like you're accomplishing something in the world. I want you to work to worship your God. I want you to go to work with the intent that I'm going to do this to the best of my ability so that God will be glorified in me. I'm going to do this so that I can earn money to provide for my family because that's what God's called me to do. I'm going to do this so that in the abundance that He gives me, I can turn and I can give it to His work. I had the opportunity to preach in Joplin today. I shared this with Jackson and, and Chris a little bit earlier. I had the opportunity to preach in Joplin. And I was so struck by the fact that a woman walked up after we were done and, and um, she said, you know, ever since I've heard of you guys, I've been praying for you by name. She said, as soon as I heard him introduce Seth and Amy, I knew who he was talking about. I've been praying for you guys. She said... I want to do something for you. And she holds out her hand, and it was obvious to me that she had something in her hand. And I felt like I was getting a tip, you know. I'd never been tipped for preaching before. It was kind of, kind of funny. But she holds out her hand to put something in my hand. And I thought, well, that's really nice of her. She said, I just want to help your, I want to help your ministry. I thought, well, that is so cool. Well, we were really curious about what it was. I thought 20 bucks, you know. I opened it up after we got to the car because I didn't want to seem rude. It's a $100 bill. You see, that, that's an example. And I don't want to put this lady on a pedestal because I don't know anything about her. But in my mind, that's an example of a woman who doesn't go and earn her money for herself. But she understands that what God gives her in abundance is meant for His glory. 
Does that mean that you can't have nice things? Absolutely not. But as you have those nice things, use them to glorify God. One of the nicest houses I've ever been in. One of the nicest houses that I, in fact, I think it's in Springfield, happens to be owned by Lewis and April Crin. Don't mean to call you guys out, but it's a beautiful house. One of the best examples that I see them set is that they use this house, every opportunity that they get, to bring people in. I don't know how many times we've met there. They've let strangers that came and helped us with the Easter egg hunt stay there. They've opened their house and they've told me, you can use it for a community group. There's nothing wrong with having the nice things. There's nothing wrong with being blessed in abundance. God, God blesses some in abundance. But the important thing is that we use those things for the Lord and that we honor Him with those things because they are not our security. They are not our hope. They are not our promise. You see, our promise is Him. He's the only one to be worshipped. We've got to come ready to give of our, <laughs> of our abilities, of our time. I'm going to tell you, and I'm not saying that every one of you needs to do this, but whether you realize it or not, you get 15 to 20 hours of my week every week. Whether it's in prayer, study, preparation, speaking to other people about what we're doing, trying to find people to help us. And I don't do that. I don't, I don't say that because I want you to think I'm, I'm saying, well, he's special. It's because I know I'm called to this. And, and the reality is, is that my family um, is given a lot up for this. We haven't had a, just a regular Saturday other than a couple of weeks ago when I asked someone to come in and preach. We haven't had a regular Saturday since we started. You know what we do on Saturdays? We sit around in the living room while I got my laptop and a lot of times I watch movies and I study. Man, we've got to give these things up. We've got to be really willing to let go at times in our life. I'm not asking you to ignore your family. I'm not asking you to ignore the relationships in your life. I'm not asking you to quit doing those things that you do. I'm asking you to do those things with a view of worshiping God. Because He's the only one worthy to be worshipped. But I'm going to say this specifically because as we move forward, it's something that's very important. <clears throat> I don't talk about money a lot. I don't talk about I don't I don't talk about giving a lot um, because I believe that God's going to move in your hearts to lead you to give. And I don't know who gives and who doesn't now, and I'm glad I don't. But I'm going to say this: it's not about how much you give. It's not about whether it's a buck or a hundred bucks. That's God's money that He's given you to steward. And if you're a part of this core group and you're not giving here, I need to ask you to commit to give here. Only because as we move forward, we're going to need it. I priced a place this week just to see what some of the prices were out there. It's a pretty cool space but it was going to be $4,000. Our average giving right now is 300 
One of the reasons we need to grow our core is that we can find committed Christians who understand that their money belongs to God. But we've got to move forward. And so I'm going to ask you, if you're a part of this core and you know that this is where you're at, if you're giving somewhere else, you need to give here. Because we've got to see this thing happen. And it's through, it's, it's God's work through you and the money that He's blessed you with that it's going to happen. And I'm going to ask you to think about if you're not plugged in and in serving in this body in some way, I'm going to ask you to pray seriously about what it is you can do. Every person in this room, every one of you, have gifts and abilities that God's given you and then called you to be a part of this. He wants you to be using those things. He wants you to be helping in whatever way He's enabled you to. And I'm going to ask you to walk with me and continue this experiment, if you will, not to build it to see if they will come, but to build it so that as we reach out to the world around us, God is worshipped. Because He deserves to be worshipped. The way, faith, community, worshipping God, unified, authentic family, serving community, missional church. This is where we start. Next week we'll finish up and we'll talk about how we get there and we'll hear about the unified, authentic family. We'll talk about the serving community and the missional church. This week I think is very important that when we leave here tonight, you spend some time in serious, honest prayer before God. What are my idols? What do I need to give up? What do I need to do to truly worship you? Let's pray. Father, <laughs> I thank you that your, that your grace is bigger than us, that, that your love is bigger than us, that, that in spite of our failings and our failures, you continue to work in us and that you've promised to work through us. I thank you, Father, that, that we have the hope of eternity, eternity, but I thank you also that we have the, 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 the purpose of life. I thank you that we have the opportunity to do your work. I pray that you will speak to each person in here in each area that they need. Because I know that it's only through you and not my words that, that change will happen. I know that it's only through you that that change of mind can occur. I know that it's only in you that they can place their faith. I just pray, God, that you would do your work, that you would touch our hearts, and that you would remind us that with all the other things that are out there, all that there is to worship, that you're the only one worthy of it. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Questions, comments, thoughts.